Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And it is good that we are connecting to worship through our online service. Know that you are welcome here at our in-person services, too, if you are in town and if you are ready. We have services at 5.30 on Saturday evenings, which are outdoors. And then Sunday morning, our indoor services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Come and join us if you are ready and know that we have the outdoor service if you are concerned with COVID-19. The way this online service works is uh, we have this welcome here, and then we'll go into the reading of the Word of God, and then we'll have the Word of God preached, and then there will be a couple songs to help guide you in worship. So wherever you are, may the Holy Spirit guide you. Know that you are welcome, and let us worship God together. Hello. It's been a while, huh? I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here, and for those of you who don't know what we're referring to, um, my wife and I had our second child born four weeks ago, so I have been on parental leave. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm back now, and I have to say, I learned an important lesson yesterday. People were asking me, how is he sleeping? And yesterday, I found myself almost bragging, saying, he's such a good sleeper. He's such a good sleeper. And last night was miserable. <laughs> so I think I learned, just, you know, be grateful and move on. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the four-week-old just started making some, some weird noises. Everything was okay, just like, <clears throat> over and over again. And then at the same time, the two-and-a-half-year-old decided that it was time to look at the spoon collection around 4 a.m. and wanted me to play with his spoon collection that he had made. All that to say... If I like completely forget what I'm saying in the middle of a sentence, it's just because I'm sleep deprived. So we'll get through this together, though. We've been going through this sermon series focused on Matthew chapters 5 through 7, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've entitled this Fulfilled. In this section of scripture, Jesus gives his most extensive teaching about how his disciples, his followers, are supposed to behave in the world. And Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law, but instead I came to fulfill the law. And in this section, he shows us what a fulfilled life looks like. So we're concluding that sermon series um, this morning by looking at Matthew chapter 7. And then we're going to be moving on to a new sermon series for the next two weeks that I'm entitling Easter Stuff. I prayed long and hard about that title. Um, <laughs> But we're bringing this one to a close now, focusing on this passage that I'm about to read here. So I invite you to hear the word of God. And Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Lord, we gather here this morning to hear your word spoken to us through your Holy Spirit and through your scriptures. So we ask that you would speak to us. Teach us how to be your followers. Teach us how to be your disciples in this world. Teach us how to reflect you and teach us how we can know which gate we are heading towards, Lord. Open up your scriptures to us now and open up your character to us. Open up your heart to us 
that we might be shaped and formed into you. We thank you. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In this scripture passage, Jesus gives us two different gates. On the one hand, we have the narrow gate. The road to the narrow gate is narrow also. Few people find it, but this gate leads to life. But then on the other hand, we have the wide gate. The road to the wide gate is also wide. Many people find it, but this gate leads to destruction. When I read this passage and when I look at the picture Jesus is painting here, attention starts to rise within me. Attention that expresses itself in the question, which gate am I actually heading towards? Which gate am I on the path towards? It's a tension that I think many of us reading this passage, hearing it, can have rise up inside of us. Now, years ago, there used to be no tension for me when I read this passage. When I would first, first hear this passage, when it was first presented to me, it was usually in the context of what's called an altar call. Some of you may be familiar with that term. Others of you may not. For those unfamiliar with the term altar call, an altar call is when a preacher or a teacher really forces a decision and says, you have to choose now. Follow Jesus or don't follow Jesus. Make a decision here in this moment now. And the preacher or teacher will usually really force the issue, like I said. And many times I heard, Go through the narrow gate. Go through the wide gate. It's one of the two right now you have to choose. And in those moments, I would choose the narrow gate. I would think. And then I could say, I'm good. And it was presented to me as almost a one-time event, that if you just make this choice, then you're good to go. I'm going to confess to you all that while I do believe God can work through altar calls, I no longer really think that that's too helpful myself to present things in that way. I'm not really big on the whole altar call thing myself. One, I am a Presbyterian, which we are a Presbyterian church, and it doesn't really fit our theology and our understanding of how people come to faith. But the other thing is, I have seen so many altar calls, and I've seen it done in ways that I would describe as emotionally manipulative. And I've been there in these moments where it doesn't seem to be about authentically deciding to follow Jesus, but it seems about just getting somebody to say yes. And that's not the way Jesus actually presented his own teachings. But then the other thing for me with the altar calls is this idea that it's a one-time event, that following Jesus is a one-time event. You see, what started to unravel for me about that was when I looked at the narrow gate and the wide gate, when I looked at it out of context, yes, I could see it in the context of an altar call, but when I actually read the Bible, I realized Jesus is not talking about a one-time event here in this passage. When you put it in its context, when you look at what Jesus is saying before this passage and after it, you realize Jesus isn't talking about some kind of one-time event or afterwards, it's good to go. We don't have to think about that any longer. 
This passage takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives extensive teachings to his disciples about how to live in this world. The way he presents these teachings isn't that it's just a one-time thing, but we're meant to reflect on these teachings. We're meant to go back to them over and over again in life, to study them. And the other thing is, looking at the narrow gate and the wide gate in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, there's those words there of life and destruction. And sometimes I think we as Christians, when we read Scripture, we jump too quickly to thinking about heaven and hell. But the destruction that Jesus is talking about and the life that Jesus is talking about, it's not, he's not just talking about what happens after we die. This life is available to us now. And the destruction, we can be set on that path towards it now in this life. So taking all of that together, looking at this passage, whatever comfort I used to have in thinking, yes, I made that choice, it dissipated. And I'm still left with the question and the tension, how do I know which gate I am heading towards? How do I know when I'm heading towards the narrow gate or the wide gate? How do I know which path I am on? It actually even deepens for me when I look at context here, because just after this passage, a few verses later, Jesus will give this piece of his teaching that has always unsettled me, where he says, many will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say to you, I do not know you. I know it's not just me, because I've had family members coming to me saying, rustling with that passage, saying, what, what do we do with this? So how do we know when we are heading towards the narrow gate or the wide gate? How do we know which path we are on? In the 1930s, there was a theologian who, I think, examined this question also. He used different language, but there's some parallels here. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran minister in Germany, and his ministry coincided with the rise of the Nazis. And some of you may be familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's rather famous in some circles. He wrote a book called Cost of Discipleship, which has become a classic and for me was very formative. But what Bonhoeffer, it's also kind of a fun name to say, by the way. I don't know. It just sounds fun. I wonder if his parents called him Bon Bon or something. Um, what he saw was, actually they wouldn't. They all had the same last name, huh? So maybe his friends called him that. I don't know. Anyways, what he saw in Germany as the Nazis were rising was he looked at the Nazi agenda and he saw that this was a dangerous fusion of nation and church. That Christians were setting aside their devotion to Jesus in order to be devoted to the nation of Germany. And that there was this temptation of power and that not only everyday Christians were buying into this, but pastors, bishops, they were all fusing their understanding of Christianity, compromising at key points in order to enable what the Nazis were doing. And they did it, they thought, for the glory of God in Germany. And Bonhoeffer looked at this, and he said, something dangerous is happening here. Years before the rest of the world would find out just how dangerous the Nazis were, Bonhoeffer saw that. So when he wrote his book, Cost of Discipleship, 
That was the dynamic that he was addressing. And in that book, like I said, he doesn't prominently use the language of the narrow gate and the wide gate, but he uses some similar ideas there. The terms he uses are cheap grace and costly grace. With cheap grace. The way Bonhoeffer describes cheap grace, and this is a quote from his book. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That line there of cheap grace is grace without discipleship. That, I think, is the wide gate that Jesus is talking about. For many of us Christians, if we're going to fall into the trap of heading towards the wide gate, it's going to be because... We've lived this life of grace without discipleship. If we're not embracing the life that Jesus offers us now, it's because of that idea of grace without discipleship. Cheap grace, the wide gate, that path, it's one where you're trying to just take all of the good things of faith and you're using them for your own ends. You're using Christian language, Christian symbols, which is what happened in Germany in the 1930s. But you're taking the actual meaning that Jesus put into those symbols, that the Bible puts into those words and those ideas. And you're putting your own desires, your own agenda into it. That is cheap grace. And I think for each of us, there's ways in which we buy into that. And it's good for us to acknowledge that and to be aware of that. And there's ways in which the leaders that we follow buy into that. It's a temptation that is always there in front of us. In contrast to that, Bonhoeffer talks about costly grace. And he describes costly grace as this. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace. It's the way of following Jesus that acknowledges we're going to give some things up. It's a way of following Jesus that echoes Jesus' words where he says, take up your cross and follow me. But costly grace is the true grace in this world that is offered to us. 
You see, Jesus didn't just go to the cross and die for our sins. He did that, and that was important, and he was resurrected, and that is the foundation of our faith. But Jesus also spent years teaching us how to actually live life. And in that teaching is where we find his grace also. But that teaching is a challenge. We've been spending the last few months looking at Jesus' teaching here in the Sermon on the Mount, where this idea of costly grace, where Bonhoeffer found it displayed best. And in this, we've learned that following Jesus means your life is going to be lived differently than what you see around you. That following Jesus means you don't embrace strength and power. You embrace meekness and humility. That following Jesus means you don't just go out and try to fight whatever fights you think are important, but you are instead a peacemaker. Following Jesus means you can't just say whatever you want because it feels good or it agrees with what you already believe, but your yes has to be yes, your no has to be no, and your words have to match reality. You have to be careful with what you say. You have to think it through before you just throw something out there. Following Jesus means you don't have the luxury of having enemies, but you're called to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. Following Jesus means that we take up our cross and we go after him, that we acknowledge that our Lord who was resurrected suffered in order to make the resurrection possible. Jesus' teachings should challenge us. I want to be clear that Jesus' way of life, it will cost you. It will force you to have to choose between the things that you might think are important. It may cost you some relationships here and there. I hope it doesn't, but it may. It may cost you your political party when you examine the way Jesus lived his life and you see the rhetoric that's being used and the policy proposals that are being used. It will cost you, though. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the reason that I buy into his book is because it actually did cost him. He wrote The Cost of Discipleship, and it ended up costing him his life. He couldn't go along with what the Nazis were doing. In fact, he had actually escaped to America. He had escaped because he knew the Nazis wanted to kill him because he had opposed them publicly. But here in America, he thought, I can't just stay. I have to go back. He went back to Germany. He ended up being part of a plot against Hitler, and it cost him his life. He died in a concentration camp. Jesus' way of life, it can cost you. But in Jesus' way of life is where we see grace. And we know that whatever the cost is, our God is faithful to repay it in full. And we know that the way Jesus taught us to live life, it is the only true way of living this life that reflects the character of the creator God who made this world. So yes, it may cost you, but the cost is well worth it. So in answer to that question, how do we know if we're on the path of the wide gate or the path to the narrow gate? Well, I think we can take the answer that Bonhoeffer had and that Jesus has here. If you want to know if you're on the path to the narrow gate, ask yourself the question, 
Am I taking Jesus' words seriously? You see, the rest of Bonhoeffer's book, after he lays out cheap grace and costly grace, it becomes an extended discussion on the Sermon on the Mount. Because to him, that was the solution. That was how you know if you're following Jesus. By asking yourself the question, am I taking Jesus' words seriously? And I'm being very careful with how I'm phrasing that. Because I'm not saying, you ask the question, do I follow Jesus perfectly? Because none of us does that. None of us does this perfectly. But are you taking Jesus' words seriously? Are you taking the character of God revealed in Jesus? Are you interacting with Jesus' words? Is it changing the way your life, that interaction, the way you live your life? Does it change based on Jesus' words? Does who you consider an enemy change because of your relationship with Jesus? Does how you treat your enemies change? Are you taking Jesus' words seriously? The whole idea of the altar call, and I know I'm kind of beating up on it a bit today. It's just not my thing. and it's, I, God can work through anything, and many of us have been in altar calls um, and, and come to faith in that, and it has been beautiful, and God can use that. For me, though, after about the seventh or eighth time I accepted Jesus, I just realized this isn't doing what I think it's supposed to be doing. But the thing with the altar call for me was when I found my assurance that I was on the right path with that, I realized I was constantly going back to a decision I had made to a moment where I did something, where I chose a certain path. But finding your assurance in Jesus' words instead and reflecting on that question, am I taking Jesus' words seriously, that puts your assurance not in something you have done, but in the words that Jesus gives us to live life. And anytime you want to have your assurance in a decision you have made, that is shaky ground that you're standing on. But when it's on Jesus' words, when your assurance is resting in Jesus' words, that is solid ground. And Jesus actually says that himself right after this passage about the narrow gate and the wide gate. He gives this teaching that anyone who takes his word seriously is building their house on a, on a solid foundation. So I think that's the question Jesus poses us to with. If you want to know which path you're headed on, are you taking Jesus' word seriously? I invite you to reflect on that, to think about that. And to place your assurance in Jesus' words and in his solid foundation. Please pray with me. Lord, your teachings are challenging. You confront us, Lord. You call us to a life where we don't have enemies. You call us to a life where we are meant to serve the people that we disagree with that we're meant to serve the people who would seek to do us harm somehow, Lord. You call us to that life. And we know that it's not easy and it's not simple. But Lord, let us, play, let us place our assurance in your words. Let us go back to your words constantly. Let us go back to your teaching constantly. That we might know we are following you because we are doing our best to do the things you asked us to do as your followers. We would know we were following you because we are reflecting your character in the world. Lord, challenge us with that now.
Look right. 